Hey, 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 hey. Order, order, and welcome to the Wee Scottish Book Club with me. He's got your vote, Scott, and the head of the Monster Raven Looney Party, Natalie. Hi, Natalie, how are you? Hi, Scott. Oh, sorry. Yes, yes, yes. It's Maggie here. <laughs> oh, no. I'm just here to say that you in Scotland can go far if you just work hard. Get no help, but work hard. Thank you very much. Absolutely honoured to have Maggie's ghost on the, the show. Who's that? Who's you know? Well, apparently Maggie was on. Was she? Oh, Good job she waited till I wasn't here, isn't it? Well, oh, on your side of the world. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. Um, in case you haven't noticed, we are having a politics special. Woohoo! Politics, um, schmolitics. Politics, schmolitics. Um, so we are going to be talking all things, and maybe not all things, Scottish politics in our books. Um, we will, of course, have our usual... Scottish book of the week. We'll have our name that book and a little bit of fun along the way. Um, so, Natalie, how are you doing? What have you been up to? I'm good. I am good. Um, I've been. What have I been up to? Well, I'll tell you what I've been up to. You maybe have seen on Instagram that I went on a big book tour with some of your pals. Oh. oh. All the way round Glasgow. Um, so we went to Category Is, which is a queer bookshop in Glasgow, out with books, Mount Florida books. I can't, don't know if I'm saying this right, Voltaire and Russo, Charity Shops. Good, must be right. Thistle Books. Um, and then we ended up in a pub, got a bit drunk. But you'll never guess how many books I bought. I dread to think, but... For the purposes of this, how many books did you buy? I bought 23 on the Saturday and four on the Friday. So 27 books. <laughs> you know how many books I've read this year? How many books I've read this year is 44. So I've basically just bought next year's books. Oh. But I'll tell you what I did find. And I am absolutely buzzing. I managed to find a hardback Eleanor Elephant signed by ah. Gail Honeyman. So I finally got it to sit on my shelf. I'm so excited. I don't feel left out anymore. That's, I'm, <laughs> I'm really chuffed for you um, because that's your one. If you're going hunting for a book, that's your one. Um, and I'm really pleased you found it. But I also did, I've got to admit, find you a present. I did. Oh, yeah. Do you want me to tell you what it was? Yeah. It was a signed Irvin Welsh book, hardback, Dead Man's Trousers. I picked it up and I was like, that's Scott, that's such a good present for Scott and he'll be so excited about that. And, I'm oh. so, yeah, I'm buzzing. Well, I... my wife's told me that I'm not allowed to give you it because she wants it. Oh. I'm sorry. She says you can have it after she's read it and after she's done with it, so you can have a scrappy sentence, but I did try. <laughs> <laughs> I love that phrase. 
Um, <laughs> do you know what? See when she's done with dead man's trousers. I'll I'll take them. You get right on about the dead man's trousers. <laughs> Can't wait. Um, what have you been up to? Well, something exciting. Um, I after our obvious appearance on the the big Scottish book club with Damien Barr, mm. um, where we saw some amazing authors talk about their work. We also saw um, Mara Menzies, and I was so enthralled by Mara's performance that when one of our friends, friend of the show, Lex, told me that she was coming to Dundee as part of the Scottish International Storytelling Festival, I had to be there. So I attended my first ever storytelling event um, on board a historic warship called the HMS Unicorn in Dundee. It's docked right down on the river. And what a night. It was incredible. It's just a year of fuss for you, isn't it? I, 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 a couple of years ago, if you'd asked me, oh, yeah, do you want to go and listen to people tell stories? I'd have laughed at you. <laughs> but it was absolutely enthralling. It was beautiful. There was, as well as Mara, who was the sort of big guest speaker that they had, there were some local storytellers from a local storytelling group um, called Blether Together. Um, and they were hosting the event and there was a, a singer there as well. And it was just a night of nice entertainment. Um, and Mara, if you've seen the show, um, that little snippet is nothing compared to what she can do if she's given time to tell a story. It is so, so captivating. And if you can, go and check her out because it's something else. I'm actually really, really jealous because after being live on the the Big Scottish Book Club and seeing that wee snippet, you've got to see so much more. And oh, I'm just so jealous. And to top it all off, she is lovely. Um, I waited behind to just tell her that thank you um, for what you've done tonight um, and also what you've done in Motherwell. And we ended up chatting and I got a copy of her book. She signed it for me. We got some lovely photographs. She genuinely gave me more time than she needed to, mm-hmm. um, but just seemed really interested in our story and um, wanted to know about like my job. And she was asking about, after I'd said I had a little girl and I love telling her stories. She was, she was so, so nice. Um, so she has gained a new number one fan. And I'm number two. As always. <laughs> um, what have you been reading this week then? While you've been away at shows and that, have you even had time? Well, yes, I've always got time for reading. <laughs> um, and this week I've kind of been, because it was coming, when we're recording this, it's coming to the end of October and I was trying to squeeze in all my books. So I finished The Shining and I've, I'm now kind of towards the end of my final October start, um, which is Horseman. Um, by Christina Henry, um, tells the story of the Headless Horseman. um, And it's a bit of a a horror kind of book, but uh, she often tells these sort of twisted tales where she takes a famous story and just tells it a little bit differently. Um, And this one is no different to any of her other books. Um, She's taken the story of the Sleepy Hollow Headless Horseman and giving it a little bit of a twist and we're all kind of through this one narrator 
um, called Ben, who is a little girl who wishes she was born as a boy um, because she's out in her sort of her breeches and she's wanting to wear her shirts and she wants to climb trees and she wants to play games in the woods with the other boys. Um, and her grandmother is very much, you should be prim and proper and you should know needlework and you should know. Um, so that's a really interesting part of the book. But also there is this looming threat of people are going missing, their heads are being chopped off and she, um, Ben, is getting involved in this whole mystery. And it's just so, so nice. Um, uh, well, not nice. That's a really bad word to use for someone losing their head. Um, but <laughs> you, just, you just really like Ben. You really like the oh, character. Such a good character. Um, and such a quick read as well. I'm I'm really, really enjoying that. So that is what I'm currently reading at the moment. And it's so far getting a big thumbs up from me. Right. Uh, what about yourself? What are you reading? Well, I'm getting stuck into loads of books. It's only the second of November when we're filming this, and I've read about 500 pages so far, and that's just not like me. Good going. But, the one that I'm getting right into, um, started it earlier, is Brickwork by Kirsten Innes and David Bratchpiece, which non-fiction, which we've not, we don't really speak about that that often on here, um, but we're big fans of Kirsten Innes, we're big fans of Glasgow, well I am, um, and we're big fans of music, so this is definitely one for me. Um, it takes you into... Don't know if you've ever been to the Arches, Scott. In I Glasgow. have been past where the arches were. Yeah. Um, um, so it's now like a street food place, which is yeah. lovely. We'll go one time. It's beautiful. Can't wait. Um, <laughs> um, but it tells you the, the history of the Arches Club. It was a theatre. Um, it was a community place. Um, and it just takes you from the 90s right through to when it closed down because of um, there was a lot of drugs deaths and stuff. So then it ended up closing down. Um, but I was too, a bit too young for a lot of it. Because obviously it starts in the nineties. That's nineties. Yeah, you didn't really go yeah. clubbing in the nineties. Well, maybe maybe ninety five. Once I was five, my mum let me <laughs> out to the well, big city. Let the leash off. <laughs> um, but I did go a few times before it shut down to like gigs and stuff. Um, so I'm really really excited to see it. And apparently, it's where the saying "Here we, here we, here we go" came from. So Is I'm excited it? to see how that came about. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Which is a big part of Scottish culture now. Whenever you go to a gig, that's what you sing. So I definitely yeah. think as a music lover and somebody who loves Glasgow so much, it's definitely going to be one for me. So I think it's out 4th of November. So by the time this podcast comes out, it will be out in the masses and get yourself a copy. It's quite cool because it's written um, by all the different people. It's called Brickwork because all the people, the employees and the, you know, the people that, entered it the punters and stuff it's written from them and the owner it's all that we pieces oh. what they are saying so they make i didn't know that aye so that's how the name's quite clever because it's made up of them. everyone's wee brick yep exactly that's really clever i like that mm -hmm. that's good and are you finding it you said you've been a couple of times are you seeing things that that you know and are familiar to you in the book i see i'm only i'm only in the early 90s just now so it's only just starting they're only ah, right, right, the right. picture of how it's starting to come together but I can see it um I can visualize it and stuff and yeah it's just it's just a lovely lovely book okay um with that 
we now move on to our Scottish book of the week. And our Scottish book of the week is coming from you this week, Natalie. So what have you got for us? Well, since it's politics this week, I thought I would pick one that's kind of down that route, but in a mere schmolitics way. Interesting. Um, so this week, my pick is Maggie and Me by Damien Barr, who some of you know as the TV presenter of the Big Scottish Book Club or Literary Salon. Um, he also is a writer and a journalist. So this is his memoir about his life growing up in the 1980s when um, Thatcherism was decimating where he was from. I think it was Motherwell. Is that right? Yeah, Motherwell. Um, and every chapter starts off with a quote from Maggie in which something she said about poverty or Scotland or something. And um, then the chapter is about Damien's life growing up. So it's from the point of view as of him as a wee boy. So he's like five or something when it starts up until, you know, young adulthood. Um, it takes you all through his life because he grew up in poverty. Um, it was for a broken home. His dad then left, uh, lost his job um, because of the uh, fact that he's shutting down and stuff. Um, he faced sexual abuse, domestic abuse, you name it, it's in there. And then all, mm. also, he's gay, so he was treated quite badly by his peers, by everybody, just for being a camp Maybe. boy, basically. Yep. Yeah. Um, but some memoirs, I think... Don't know about you, if you read a lot of memoirs? I've tried. Yeah, well, this is the thing. I don't usually read a lot of memoirs because I find them self-indulgent. I find the people, when they're telling a story, they can sometimes come across as if I am the best and this is why. Okay. Um, yeah. Whereas this just doesn't, Damien, it shows what's and all, if you know what I mean. It shows everything. Um, and because it's written for the point of view as him as a wee boy, it's just his innocence shines through and it just makes it hard. I remember you speaking at the Halloween special about how things to do with children are what makes young yeah. and stuff. So I think this definitely would be one of them. It does come with a trigger warning, but it's also very, very inspiring as well. Um, he talks about, I don't know if you know anything about the Brighton bombing. No. No, so... Um, this was news to me as well. I ended up Googling it and stuff. I knew that IRA had bombed places in Britain, but yeah. I didn't know that they bombed a hotel in Brighton that Maggie Thatcher was actually in. They tried to kill Maggie Thatcher. Ah, I did not know that. Um, so she comes out of the building like as if she's rising for the ashes. She's got soot in her hair and um, covered in dust. Her hair's a bit of a mess. You know, you know Maggie Thatcher here? Yeah. A mess. And she walks straight up to the camera and says... Life must go on as usual. As if nothing had actually happened. So the reason I think that was then important for Damien is because he was a wee boy and all this shit was going on in his life. And this woman nearly been bombed to death and she just come out and was like, doesn't matter, carry on. You get where you need to be just if you work hard. And that's what Damien did. Um, so actually, when I got to the end of it, so I, I was speaking to my wife and I was like, I'm not actually sure how Damien feels about Maggie Thatcher because a lot of what had happened to him in his life was because of Thatcherism. 
Um, and obviously there's things that would have happened anyway, is what I, I think anyway. Um, but also she gave him his work ethic and taught him that, you know, if you work hard, you can, you don't need to be a miner. You don't need to work in factories. You know, she took that option away from him. So he didn't have that option anymore, um, which obviously gave him a different avenue to go down. Um, so then I looked up, I Googled it. Mr. Google, I was like, you need to tell me, you know, what does what did Damien actually think? I'm dead confused. And I found an interview and Damien was asked what he would say to Maggie now if he could, if she was sitting right okay. in front of him. Good. What would he say? And he said simply, I would say, thank you, Maggie. And fuck you, Maggie. <laughs> Good old Damien. <laughs> but I just think that sums up. He's obviously confused about it as well. Well, that was going to be my big question coming out of what you've just said. Do you read from the book, is Damien a Maggie hater or a Maggie like, sympathiser in a way? It, and yeah. he's not. He seems as conflicted as... Um, Everybody else. I mean, just now, right, I'm watching The Crown, right? I'm in season four. Maggie Thatcher's just arrived and I thought, oh, I'm going to hate her. See the first episode, I felt so hard, felt sorry for her. And I was like, right, this is weird, put it off. <laughs> it was, there was the film about her as well, yeah. um, recently, The Iron Lady. And I went in with those same views thinking, ah, oh, Margaret Thatcher, I've heard so many bad stories. And you watch that film and you actually, mm -hmm. sympathy in a way. Yeah, yeah which it is didn't, weird. It didn't sit well. It felt no. funny because I've been told I shouldn't like her. Yeah. Um. I'm assuming if I explored some more, there'd be some. Yeah. Some more. She, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say she is a wonderful person because I am not a Margaret Thatcher sympathizer. But imagine running a country man. Give that job to somebody else. Oh, I'm not doing it. Nah. Nah. <laughs> We'd run the country into the ground. <laughs> I think even this is too much responsibility <laughs> for us. <laughs> so now it's time for name that book and we are going international international politics and scott i set you the challenge this week to find me a book that is not necessarily about politics but there's issues in the book that are as a result of something that is political now did you scour your bookshelves and did you find me anything right I scoured my bookshelf long and hard for this. And actually, this is probably the toughest um, name that book I've had um, because all the books that were political were maybe too political. Um, like I found 1984 yeah. that I was going to talk about. And I thought, no, that because that is, it's about totalitarianism. It's, it's political. Um, and then I thought, oh, I could do Game of Thrones. It's all about like fighting for the top seat and who's the power and all that kind of stuff. And actually, it's related to Scotland. Do you know that? Do you know the stories in Game of Thrones that are Scottish? I didn't know that. Yep. Interesting. The Red Wedding is about the clans, the big um, bloody, oh, I forget what it's called. Do you know when Clan MacDonald and all that fought? Oh. Blinko Massacre. That's yes. what it's about. That's what, that's what he based it on. So there you go. I didn't know that. Learn something new every day. 
every day is a school day, Mr. Teacher. But anyway, continue. Well, it is. Um, and then I kind of I kind of settled on um William Golden's Lord of the Flies. Right. And I've again we've done this thing where we've both chosen books that are from children's perspectives. Um, without talking about it, we've done this thing. Um, so I've gone for Lord of the Fr- Flies because it's not it's not um a political book in the sense of politics the way we know it with political parties and all this kind of stuff and the way that it's influenced the way the country is running stuff it's about we boys who've crash landed on an island and they have to make up their own rules they have to make their own government um so i'll really quickly read the synopsis uh of this one so at dawn of the next world war a plane crashes on an uncharted island stranding a group of schoolboys. At first, with no adult supervision, their freedom is something to celebrate. This is this far from civilization. The boys can do anything they want. Anything. They attempt to forge their own society, failing, however, in the face of terror, sin, and evil. And as the order collapses, as strange howls echo in the night and terror begins its reign, the hope of adventure seems as far from reality as the hope of being rescued. Labelled a parable, an allegory, a myth, a morality tale, uh, Lord of the Flies is perhaps our most memorable novel about the end of innocence, the darkness of man's heart. Um, and it tells a story of, of these boys who are stranded on the island and they need to sort their shit out. Um, they want rescued, but they don't know when it's going to happen. They've got no means of communication. Um, and... I think it's a really good choice, if I do say so myself, um, for this question, because it is what would happen if we just started afresh and we had new government. So in this book, we've got um, Ralph and we've got Jack and we Ralph is the one who is nominated and voted to be chief and Jack doesn't like that. Um, but Ralph deals with all of these sort of adversities that come his way with a really sensible head. He says to Jack that he can be head of the hunters. Um, so that makes him feel quite important. But things start to turn. Um, and we're dealing with six to 12 year old boys on an island. Um, and Ralph is, is doing really well he's, he's got the hunters he's got people building the shelters but we've got these youngins who are terrified of a beast and a monster and ralph takes quite a reasonable approach and says oh the monster's not real you're fine let's let's move on let's let's get get our lives in order and survive and hopefully be rescued whereas jack says no we're gonna hunt the monster let's go and get it and this just leads to this reign of terror and, and things start to unravel for Ralph and his pal Piggy, who's his right-hand man. Um, and Jack likes to go and hunt piggies um, in, his, in this story. And See, I Piggy, just... Piggy, I've read it, didn't really enjoy it, but I, everything you're saying, I remember it. So I did take a lot from it. Um, but Piggy... It's probably the one that they all should have been listening to because he was the one that was a bit more rational, wanted democracy, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he did. Sort of stuff. He was the one that was actually running the show in the background for Ralph. 
Can yeah, I tell he was, what you do? He was his, his sort of spin doctor. He was behind help, helping him out, doing all these things. But because um, he looked different, because he didn't fit a certain bill, he was ignored and bullied and oh, it was horrible. Yeah, and and it is. We see this happening even in politics today. Yeah. If you don't look the part and you don't say the right things or you don't fit that sort of norm, then there's no chance of you being successful in politics, no matter what's going on inside your head and what your ideas are. You've just not got that um, mm-hmm. thing. And I just think this book does it really well. Um, and it's even just the breakdown into tribes. And, and we see this now with, well, in the House of Commons and up in Scotland at Holyrood, we're seeing these political parties just bashing heads the same way that Jack and Ralph are bashing heads. And sometimes you've got a sort of more reasonable and laid back politician in charge. And sometimes you've just got this utter buffoon like Jack um, who just isn't talking sense and is thinking with his, I don't know, his his heart or his, I don't know what he's thinking with, but it's not right. Egotistical Jack, isn't he? He is... He is just, I want this and I'm just going to get it for me. And it's more of a, it's more of like making sure your pack survives, not the greater good and looking after the people that are weaker, that maybe need a bit more help. Um, So that is quite current just now as well, because, you know, benefits have been talked about being cut and all that sort of stuff. But these are the people that maybe need the help the most. So I I kind of, I kind of get, get. Mm -hmm. And I think the book ultimately shows um, the weakness uh, and the helplessness of governments, um, just like we were saying with Maggie Thatcher, she's running a country, mm-hmm. um, and that's bloody hard. Yeah. Um, so we see that in in this book that it's bloody hard, and they're kids, uh, but it's also bloody hard for us adults too. All right, so now we're off the island. We're back in the mainland where it's safe. Jack can't get us. Um, so we're going to speak about our topic of the week, which is politics schmolitics. Um, and I want to start off this by saying, don't worry, guys, this isn't question time. It's not a great debate. So if you, that's what you're looking for, you maybe need to go elsewhere. Because I don't think either of us would actually win a debate. We couldn't even string a couple of paragraphs together that would make any sense, to be fair. Um, so this is purely about the books that we read that have political elements. Um, so it's not about, I don't know, what Boris Johnson, if he's doing something right, or, oh, there's Nicola Sturgeon and what she doing. Nothing to do with that. It is all about the books. So I'm going to start you off here, Scott, by asking you the question, if you were head of this country... What change would you make or what policy would you put in place? Right. I've thought long and hard about this. And I really feel that I'm going to put on my teacher head. Hmm. Everybody, every day, has one hour of uninterrupted, restful reading time. You get my vote? Everyone. And it doesn't matter if you want to listen to your audiobook or read your Kindle, or even you could focus that hour on writing the next bestseller. But that one hour a day, the country falls silent. The big alarm clock rings from Scotty Towers, which is what I'd call my house when I'm in charge. And it's, 
And that's it. Everyone sits down, picks up a book, gets a cup of tea, and enjoys being taken somewhere else for a wee hour. I do. So you could even have family reading there if you've got children. So if the children, obviously you can't leave them alone to read, but you would have family reading. I I think that would be brilliant. Let's get it through Parliament, Scott. Let's get it done. I'm on it. Off to Holyrood I go. (laughs) What if you're in charge? What's your policy? What are you coming up against me with? Take on my one hour of reading. Oh, so I've got two. Because I am Billy Big Bollocks and I make the rules. <laughs> well, you're in charge. <laughs> um, so my first one would be, see all the libraries were shut down because there isn't enough in the budget. I'm going to fin the money that's hiding in that budget. I'm not going to let them go for cocktails and a thousand pound bottles of champagne. I'm going to open the libraries again and actually see while they're reading, then all the libraries will be open and they can get in there. Because I believe that these libraries were everywhere and made it accessible for everybody. Not everybody can travel. I can't believe we've got to episode nine before we're having a library rant. Mm. But that's going to be a whole different episode, Scott. It deserves its own episode. Yeah. How important are libraries? I'll vote for you. Yes. And my other one, which it might be more important. I'm not sure. I'm going to ban the use of telephones on public transport. No more. I'm on the bus. Where are you? No more. Can I get involved in this and ban them from other places too? Yeah, it's a lifetime sentence. If you're caught in a bus and you answer that phone and say, Hi, Morag, I'm on the bus. Hi, oh, how's the winds? No, jail. I don't know if it's worse or not hearing someone's conversation or hearing someone else's music played oh, through a tinny speaker. It's always when you're trying to read, isn't it? It's always oh, when you've got a good bit so and you're trying to concentrate. Stop running or reading. Get off the bus. I need a wee wee. <laughs> oh, nice policies. I think we should form a coalition government. Ooh, get on it. <laughs> okay. Um, while researching um, for this week's episode, I came across a really interesting article. Um, this article was in The Guardian and it was all about Val McDermott, Um, she spoke at the 2020 Edinburgh Book Festival. And in the Edinburgh Book Festival that year, there was obviously COVID on everyone's mind. Um, The world was shut down, the book festival was virtual, all this kind of stuff. Um, But Val McDermott gave an interview where she said um, that political figures and leaders from around the world, the ones that do it well, all have one thing in common and that is that they all read fiction oh did she go into why well she goes into this she says that um some people think that reading political memoirs and old books by old people who've ruled through the past or managed to lead through the past it's not actually teaching you anything um these people in power are not um, learning anything from these books. However, 
reading fiction transports people other places, opens up your mind, makes you think clearer. And she said from some of the people that she's spoken to in politics who read fiction and promote it really well, she thinks that they are doing a really good job. At this time, it was all about the pandemic. Um, but she mentions Nicola Sturgeon in Scotland. She mentions um, the Prime Minister or President of New Zealand, um, how she reads and promotes it. We've got uh, Catherine, and I'm gonna, I can't even say the second name, but the Icelandic um, leader, she does it. And then we've got Sanna Martin from Finland. These are all women, first of all, um, but also people who read fiction books and promote fiction books. Um, and I just think it, she's right. Reading fiction promotes empathy. It gives you a chance to see life out with your own little bubble or your little circle. Um, and if you're a leader, is that not what your job is? If you're a politician, is that not what you've got to be doing? Um, you've got to be looking to the people. And I think she's right. I think she's bang on the money with this. Um, and I, I really, really liked reading this article um, to hear Val's thoughts on it all. Yeah. Well, even us as people, I think the most open and accepting people to any diversity are people that tend to read. And whether that be non-fiction or fiction, they just read things that like either let you into an insight of other people's lives, experiences, um, even dystopian worlds, because dystopian worlds usually deal with a lot of strong topics and usually have something that's actually happening in our real world. So I actually totally agree with that as well. And did you actually see Nicola Sturgeon's Twitter when she met um, the Icelandic president? Um, and she actually gives her a book, hands over a book. Yes. And actually, is it not a Val McDermott? Yes, it's 1979 by Val <laughs> McDermott. <laughs> this is perfect. Um, so they're yeah. basically get this wee leaders book club I'd love to be on that zoom call <laughs> maybe we maybe we can share it yeah we're that'd that, be good we are that famous she would totally be up for that let's get right. her on the phone Nicola, Catherine, everyone else who's in that zoom we're <laughs> your guys um, actually I have a book um, by Val McDermott that is called Imagine a Country I haven't read it um, but I believe it's a book from loads of different um, celebrities, writers, um, and it says what their thoughts would be on the future of our country. Um, and I think it will be some interesting reading. So it's got likes of Alan Cummings on it, which I'm a big fan of. Alan Bissett, Damien Barr. These are all people we love. Val McDermott herself, Joe Clifford. Um, so I think it will make some interesting reading. There's actually loads of names on here. James Robertson, News of the Dead guy. Oh, there he is. So he's a clever guy, so he'll have a lot to say. Alistair Gray. Um, so really, really big people in there. I was just wondering how you feel, because obviously I've not read this book, right? But this could be a very one-sided book. I don't know. Um, I'm going in with an open mind. Um, but I'm assuming it might be one-sided. How do you feel about like these celebrities and authors writing about politics and what they imagine the country to be like in the future? They are very brave people. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> especially in our country. 
um, mm-hmm. where we've got such a divide um, with the country in general, but also the independence debate still rumbling on, still raging. Um, and I think if you're an author in Scotland who is promoting a book that is giving out political views or your thoughts, your personal thoughts or a character's personal thoughts, you're getting into dangerous territory. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think it's it's such a, an important thing to do because we should be talking about these kind of things. Yeah. Um, but you could, if word gets out on what side of the debate your book has fallen, you could be alienating people. Yeah. And um, that's a, do you know, I think that's a shame because we've all got the right to believe what we want and we should all kind of accept one another for believing in a certain thing because everybody's points are valid. It's based on your experiences and how you were brought up and, you know, what you want from the world. It's totally up to you. Um, but hopefully these books kind of maybe open up the debate and make people be able to talk about it. Now, here's something that we spoke about before we even started this podcast. We just assume that we have the same political views. We have never spoken about it. And we never will. We've made an agreement that we never will. It it can change your perspective on someone, can't it? Mm -hmm. It's it's that we just keep saying, oh, I think you think the same as me on this. Yeah. Um, And the other one just nods. Uh, But we don't, in our heart of hearts, we don't actually know. Um, And I think that's, it's it's sad in a way, isn't it? But at the same time, um, it's it's the way a lot of people are. Um, keep your views to yourself. Go on those days and put your crosses in the box and do what you've got to do. But at the same time, just get by. Um, yeah. Keep your friends and let's keep it respectful. I th- it's hard. Yeah, for, for sure. And it's not like I'm quite an open person. I don't think I would judge anybody for voting a certain way or anything like that, but it's the fear of somebody maybe judging me, you know? And well, I, don't, I don't want to be judged by it. I'll have an open discussion with anybody who wants to talk about politics. I know quite a lot about it. I'm actually really, really interested in politics from every angle is something I'm really, really interested in. Um, but I think you've got to come about it. It's the same with anything. Anything you want to change, anything you want to change somebody's mind in it, you have to come in with an open and understanding heart and mind, willing to ask them, so why is it you think that? That's amazing. It might change your mind. These are the things, nobody is right and nobody is wrong in politics, and that's something that we need to kind of remember. So in that philosophical moment I had there, um, wow. Let's go into bookie books. Um, I love bookie books. Love the bookie books. Um, so do you think a lot of Scottish literature does have a political element? Every book has a political element in some way, don't doesn't it? I mean, you could you could dissect every book and and start to to have a look at it. Oh, could are they are they sort of insinuating this or is that a result of this? Um, is it, oh, remember that big decision that political party made at that time? Has that impacted and made that person act the way they have? It's everywhere. It, yeah. And I think Scottish literature is is rife with it, especially um, 
since we we've been involved in the Scottish Book Club, you setting up and me as a member, my eyes have been open to some of the things because we are a diverse group and yeah. we've got lots of different opinions and lots of different lifestyles all coming together on one call and one conversation. And I'm getting to hear what other people think. It's no longer just my closed group of friends who are all like-minded. I'm getting all of my new friends who are not like-minded in some respects coming together to have a discussion. And Scottish books open that discussion, I think, really, really well. The books that we've looked at anyway certainly do. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our big impactful moments in Scottish lives has been the impact of big political moments. You know, you think of the industrialisation, the shutting of the mines, the Great Depression, you know, obviously the wars as well, um, yeah. and that's Britain as a whole. Um, so we are writing, these books that we are reading are about the past, so they're going to have these political things in it, especially the ones we're reading now that are more contemporary fiction. So they're more 80s, 90s, our time, which yeah. everything that happened was political. It was a very, very political time for Scotland. And it's it's really nice to see because I'm finding it so, so interesting. Like even us finding out from Maggie and me that Maggie Thatcher was in a in a blast. I did not know that. It's absolutely fascinating, isn't it? And I suppose this is exactly what Val McDermott's talking about. Yeah. Um, we're we're opening our minds, we're learning new things, we're we're coming away with different ideas. Um and, and that's super important. It's super important in all aspects of life. And if books are helping us get there, mm -hmm. then that's brilliant. Yeah, for sure. So when you think of a political book that's Scottish, what is the very first book that comes into your mind? I can't help but go to our friend Cleo Campbell um, <laughs> in Scabby Queen because she personified exactly what we were we're saying that she was the opposite of what we're saying she was so out there with her views and so um combative with some of the other characters in that book when it came to her political thoughts and her political opinions Kirsten Innes has written a book that is unashamedly political yeah and that's that was very brave of her as well you know there's things, there's things that she put in there um, we spoke about it at great lengths, and this is people that are not or I, by the way, before um, people think anything. And it was a, the part that in Kirsten Innes's Scabby Queen that described the day after and the day of the independence referendum. And it was beautiful. No matter whether you voted not or I, everybody was saying how beautiful it was and how, how they felt it. They felt that second day when you were fear to look at people's eyes because you were like, did they vote no? Oh, did they vote yes? You were really, really scared and it just, people were heartbroken, people were angry, people were scared to be pleased because they got what they wanted. Um, it was just such a powerful day and the, the bit that she wrote, if you haven't read it, just go and look that bit up because it was, it's one of my favourite parts of Scabby Queen. I think because I, we loved it. I think it's so current that it is something that we we remember. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're 30, so we're talking 2014. Um, and that that wasn't a long time ago. Um, mm -hmm. so so we can remember that feeling. And we would have felt the exact same no matter what way we voted. Um the the voting day itself was nervy and oh, what way is it going to go? Because it was so, so tight. 
um, yeah. and you, no one was calling it. And so you were, I, I don't know about you, but I, I was watching the results and yeah, I, was, I made Amy stay up all night. <clears throat> she, was, she was not happy about that, but yeah. <laughs> and that when it was official, that feeling, whether it was elation or that sinking feeling that you got, um, but at the same time, not being able to fully go out and celebrate or be visibly upset by the decision yeah. in, in some ways. But I mean, I'm a, I'm a teacher, so I'm muzzled in, in my sort of day-to-day life. I can't go around talking about my political opinions because I'm not supposed to be influencing children. Um, so I went to school the next day and had, had a certain feeling that I couldn't share. I could share it with my colleagues um, in the privacy of the staff room. Um, but even then, I, I knew we were a split staff. And so you didn't want to, you didn't want to offend someone or you didn't want to make someone feel uncomfortable. Um, so Scot- Scotland was silent in a way. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember that day. It was very, <clears throat> I know there was some issues, tiny, yeah. isolated things, but everybody seemed respectful. And that is one of the things, no matter what the result was I wanted, that was one of the things I was most proud of. The fact that we could be respectful to one another. Um, it just, it's something that doesn't happen very often in the world. Um, and it's something that I think Scotland should be very proud of. Um, but in Scabby Queen, I mean, there's the poll tax rallies and stuff as well. Um, but that was like reading historical fiction for me. It wasn't like a, an amazing thing. I, I ended up researching it, which is what it was good for. Um, yeah. but I didn't I didn't know much about it until Kirsten Innes put it in the page for us. And that's why books like Scabby Queen are really important. Yeah. That's why we've got to read books um, like that. And it... It's a great book um, from that point of view. It's a really, really great book. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's our <clears> most <throat> obvious one. Um, what others have you read that have a political element, whether well, it be big or small, anything? Recently, um, on the podcast as well, I've been, I've been talking a lot about um, things like train spotting um, mm-hmm. and working class state of mind. And we've even we've dipped into the young team and things as well and they are all built of the same thing um and that's we've got this system this class system um and we are looking at books here that are a certain class that are finding life hard um and we can tie that into politics we can tie that into the way that um, opportunities are maybe a bit limited for people um, of a certain background or from a certain area um, and these books all deal with that so I think you can probably bunch train spotting and working class state of mind together because they're from the same area yeah. um, as much as they deal with different time periods we've still got this the same issue um, that we're dealing with young team slightly different in that it's west coast but we've got similar themes um, that we're dealing with in these books. The thing that a young team that was so interesting for me, and we obviously have spoke to Graham in great lengths, we're mega fans, and I'm a bit of a stalker, but don't tell Graham. Um, Love you, Graham. <laughs> the thing about the young team is that it is not about poverty. It's not. It's about political decisions being made in the past 
that have meant that these areas were left decimated. There was no shops in the high street. There was no jobs for people. So then when it got to our age, so young teams, our age, 2007. So mm -hmm. when, when I finished school. Um, so it's round about then. And these boys have got nothing. They've no hope. There's nothing for them. There's not even like any programs put in place to help them. They are just what I class as the forgotten youth. Um, and the only thing that they can turn to is each other and fighting and doing drugs and all that to try and get this high because if not they're just going to be depressed um, and it's just stuck in a rut and I think it's something we still see now um, but there's a change happening I think um, people are maybe being a bit more aware of it and maybe trying to help these boys um, I just hope because there's things that have happened I just hope that we don't go back to that um, but commend Graham Armstrong for doing everything he's doing to try and help these young boys. And he's not political. He said himself, he doesn't care who the leader is or what party. It's always the same. These boys are still forgotten. And that's something that I think the young team, it just makes the young team what it is, isn't it? It is. And, and Graham spoke so well about that um, when we spoke to him, when we were talking about the young team. He was able to come onto a call with all these people from all these different backgrounds and have a conversation that at the end, we were all talking about what a fantastic speaker Graham is. Yeah. And he is using the success of the young team and the soon-to-be um, adaptation yeah. for the television. And now he's, yeah, he's got his other book on in the pipeline. We've got all this stuff coming along and he's using that power to just shine attention onto this this issue um these this forgotten generation um that we're talking about these these young guys mainly um but he's using his voice he's talking about them all over the place he's he's trying to get his point everywhere everywhere he can be heard and he does it in such a fantastic way that you can't yeah. help but be compelled to listen and to hear what he's got to say mm -hmm. i mean look we've got people in our club that I would class not as upper class but above above working class for sure uh, they're all lovely it's not that that they act a certain way or anything they're all down to earth and stuff but even they connected with Graham's story and they seen a side through his book they seen a side of Scotland that they didn't even know existed um which is why it's important um, I could talk about the young team all day because it is one of the most, in my opinion, the most important Scottish books out there. 100%. I'm with you. Now, here's one that I did not expect to get, have any political element, okay? I read it because it's a crime book and I'm trying to get into crime, right? And okay. it, is, it is Edge of the Grave by Robbie Morrison. You know that book that eyes is in? Oh, we eyes her. <laughs> um, so it taught me quite a lot about politics in the 1930s in Glasgow. Um, it deals with things like the Red Clyde side, which I didn't even know that what that was. Do you know what that is? Never heard of it. So it's a political movement. It's how... Um, it's one of the things that the labour movement started in Scotland and it was basically um, these protests 
um, that were happening all around Glasgow because of the Great Depression and, you know, the shipbuilding, there not being enough jobs available and um, even the, the world wars, you know, they were, were protesting the World War One, um, And it was just, it made me go into a, a, a proper like Google black hole, you know, when you're like just sitting for hours and you're supposed to be reading, you're supposed to be doing your I love it when a book does that. Right into it. It just taught me so, so, so much. And even things like the suffragette movement and like women not being allowed to be detectives in the police force, it taught me all about that. Um, it taught me about um, the changes in the police force. So there's people in the book that are actually real and the, the main man in the police force who comes up from England, still taught, is a real person. You Google him. Do you know the black and white tartan that's on police uniforms? Okay, yeah, yeah. That is called the Stilto tartan. And I've learned all this. So he come up to try and get rid of gang culture in Glasgow. That's what he was for. Because of poverty, all these gangs had started up, just like the young team, but this was the 1930s. And it just, honestly, Scott, I can't actually wait for you to read it. I could actually go on about it all day. But we have another episode, a podcast episode coming soon where hopefully you've read it and I'll have yeah. read it and we can gush for hours. You did you... not expect me to say that, did you? No, you're a fountain of knowledge tonight. I told like... you I love politics. I told you. <laughs> and I'm going to hark back to Val McDermott again. This has all come from a fiction book. Yeah. You wouldn't have known exactly. that without it. I, th- exactly. I just think... I just think that was the best thing I found. I'm really pleased with myself finding that article. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, that book sounds so, so good. If Al McDermott said it, it must be true. The final book that I want to bring up is actually the reason that we speak. Um, the first ever book we read together, uh, Shuggy Bain. Oh, Shuggy. I, that name. Um, I've, I'm expecting a son. Maybe we shuggy shields. <laughs> you know, um, my mum came up the other day there and my mum has had Shuggy Bane since we read it. It took her a year to read it. She's finished it and she'd come up here and we were walking through a part of Glasgow and she went, oh, I was like, what's wrong? Are you okay? You fell? Like, what's going on? I'm just, just thinking about Shuggy when he was here. Oh, that... that's how much that book has touched the hearts of our nation. Yes. It's just so beautiful. Lovely. Um, but anyway, but... <laughs> back to politics. Um, Shuggy Bain it, it is another one of those books that is a story of a wee boy. But underneath all of that, we've got the mask of politics, the, the stench of politics all over the place. Um, yeah. So Shuggy Bain one of the big factors in that book is the mines um, and the closing down of that. And we've got the pit towns and all this kind of stuff in Shuggy Bane. Um, and that ties nicely into our politics theme as well. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of like what we're talking about with the young team, about how it was the forgotten children and grandchildren. That's after these things like, obviously, de-industrialisation, like um, the ironworks and stuff was... Was it after or before the mines? I'm not sure. Uh, but the mines is kind of how it all kind of started, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, like, it's not the forgotten child, children. It's the children that are actually living in poverty. Those are the ones we, we see most in books. 
But I think Shuggy Bane did it differently because it was about a woman and her children more than the actual men losing their job. Yeah, it came at it from a different angle and we got to see the effects on um, this single mother um, mm-hmm. raising three children um, at, at one point in, in the story and just trying her best to to help them survive but at the same time to help herself survive and it was a very dangerous lifestyle that she was leading because we were exposed to the the reality of harsh political decisions um like getting rid of the industry the getting rid of the work for that area of scotland or that area of wherever it's wherever we're looking at as setting is um i mean i'm from a mining village and this actually happened to my family um, but it's it's interesting my generation can look at it. It's not necessarily that they shut the mines and that, that there was just no support available. There was no alternative. So they just shut the mines and then went, oh, well, what are you going to do? Left people out in these isolated villages with no way of getting to anywhere else where they could get work. Um, and that the interesting thing is Agnes and Shuggy moved to this kind of wee town, a wee village. It was closer to Glasgow than I was. Don't get me wrong. But when she arrives there, she just, there's this part where there's men just floating about mm. in their worker boots with nothing to do and women just in their house coats with a pint of vodka. That's how it was. And it's horrendous to think, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it, it just, it paints another really, really vivid picture of what life was like. As much as this book is fiction, the story is fictional. This is some people's real life. Yeah. Um, you're saying your family were affected by it. Um, there are thousands of others yeah. who are also in some way, whether it be really extreme end of the spectrum or even just mildly um, affected by these political decisions of deindustrialization, getting rid of that skilled workforce, the labor force, um, and the effect that that not only has on the men who were out working at that time, but who were leaving in the house as well. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, just, it destroyed families, destroyed people. Um, you think about depression now, it's spoke about and mental health spoke about. It wasn't spoke about then. Um, and there was no support even for the mental side of it. Even, I mean, if you think of Agnes Bain herself, right? Well, she yeah. had an addiction. She was addicted to alcohol. There was no support for her. And that, I mean, for the support to be available, there needs to be the funds available. And where does the funds come from? It comes from the top. It comes from the government and the councils. They make the decision where the money goes. And it just wasn't deemed, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't important that time, no. No, Not and it should have been. Um, so that that's a, a political side as well, without you even maybe realising it's political. Politics is everywhere. Yeah, politics, smartics. Scott and Natalie for president. So right now, we have actually got a big political thing happening happening in Glasgow. The roads are shut, Scott. I can't get to the bookshops. Oh, no! I'm How at, are you going to cope? I'm going out with Greta Thunberg and we're going to protest for it. She says she's here for something called COP26, but I'm not really sure what that's all about. But you're a teacher. You must know. Uh, I know everything there is to know about COP26 at the moment. Um we have had such a heavy focus on COP26. You'll remember, actually, in a previous episode, I spoke about um, how Dundee had a big event to mark oh, yeah, the, um, the build-up. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, with Big Spooky Bitch in it. And it was a sort of build-up to COP, and we'd worked on this art project, this art installation to kind of talk about it. So the kids have been dripping into it for a, a wee while. Um, but now the, the conference of the parties is happening uh, in the hydro, of all places. It's the weirdest setting. Um, we've got all these really important nations coming across. So these are all the nations that signed the pledge to help our planet, to rid the planet of CO2, to get that net zero um, target done as quickly as possible so that hopefully we can reverse some of the damage that's been done by the generations um, recently. And COP26 is, is seen as this huge event for many different reasons, but the biggest one is this is probably our biggest opportunity to turn the tide. Um, to put all of these new things in place to, to get our renewable energy working, to reduce our CO2 emissions and to overall help our planet for the good of everyone, not just of wealthy nations or nations that have the access to, to these resources, but to help everyone. Um, we have an obligation to help. And the kids in my class just now are so inspired um, everything that we are doing just now in class is COP related, environmental uh, related. We've been looking at our carbon footprints. We've been doing science experiments to see how trees help us breathe and things. And it's just really focusing our minds. And actually, I've learned so much in the last couple of weeks about how to be more energy efficient or what I little things I've been doing that are damaging the planet. Um, and COP26 is massive. I don't think I realized when it was first announced how big this conference is. Um, when you've got the uh, president of the United States being driven by his cavalcade out of Edinburgh airport towards Glasgow, and you've got Joe Biden sitting in the stands at St. Mirren football club, <laughs> watching them play in Dundee. It is the weirdest thing, but at the same time, it's such an important moment and yeah. There was actually something that was on Newsround today where they were interviewing some Glasgow school pupils. And as much as they were like, aye, the roads are shut, so we can't get a boot as much. So um, I'm having to walk home after school today. Um, you had this kid had said the line, imagine in 30 years, 40 years, when the scientists are finally saying the world is returning to nature and we're actually getting these CO2 levels down. Imagine the scientists are turning around and being able to say, this is all because of Glasgow. Oh. How big would that be? That would be amazing. See, this is our biggest thing now, isn't it? So we have spoke about the past and these, you know, the big things that have happened to Scotland, um, the big political decisions that affected us. And they're all negative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this is the biggest thing just now. And it is negative. But it's international, it is the world. It is affecting yeah. the world. And it is our biggest problem right now. Um, and we've got a hand in solving it. I just think it's absolutely mental that they chose Glasgow. It's also so cool. I know. I mean, it's just so cool. I just can't wait to I go to the Blue Lagoon for, you know, that nice sausage supper uh, we had there. Uh, there. When we go there and I get to share a sausage supper with Joe Biden. Yeah. President of India there chowing down on his fish and chips. You've got 
big Boris Johnson enjoying himself a wee mock chop. Um, but it'll be great. George yeah. Square's party will be mental this weekend. <laughs> Get yourself <Are> we... involved. <laughs> okay, so we got a bit serious with all the politics and all that, and it's lots of fun. But I want to end this politics debate on a game. Okay. I love a game. So the game is winch, wed, and murder. Now, this is a take on snog, marry, avoid. And it is the Scottish political version. So I'm going to give you three names, and you've got to choose which one you want to winch, what one you want to wed, and what one you want to murder. Oh, just to be clear, um, for the purposes of our listeners, can you explain what winching is? Winching is when you get a bit up and close and personal with somebody and you give them a big... Ooh, wow. Up with tongues. <laughs> <laughs> so you ready? I'm ready. Okay, your three are Tony Blair, Margaret Thatcher, or Nicola Sturgeon. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, winch, wed, murder. Yeah. Right. Um. Well, oh, I'm going to marry. Let's pretend marry, they're all uh, alive. By the way, they're all alive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm not like taking a corpse to bed or anything. Right. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm I'm going to marry Nicola Sturgeon, and the reason for that is: Have you seen our bookshelf? <laughs> yep. Priorities, mate. I'm I'm all for that. I would marry Nicola Sturgeon for our books, um, and. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to winch Margaret. <laughs> Is it the hair? I think there's something about it. It's the, <laughs> it's the wee power suits and the... I just imagine. Oh, come on, Scott. <laughs> it just oh, gives me chills. Um, <laughs> and that, unfortunately, means Tony Blair's for the chop. Mm. Uh, someone had to have it, and... Big Tony gets it. This is no view on my political. Um, <laughs> you've chosen from three different parties, and I've chosen to marry one, kiss one, and uh, get rid of one. Uh, but that's not reflective of my views. <laughs> the funny thing is, I didn't even realise that it was spoke with three different parties until you said that. <laughs> I just thought you'd done the smart thing. You're no, trying no. to back me into a corner. No smart enough. Okay, Scott, Matt, let's get ready. Speaking of games, it's time for everyone's favourite game, and that is, of course, Cluedo. Oh, it was you with the clock. Well, that's what they all say. <laughs> um, done in 60 seconds. Um, this is one of my favourite parts of the show. Um, and this week, Natalie, I have a belter. I'm scared. Um, I'm not going to say too much about it beforehand. I'm just going to rock it into it. And then it is time for you to have some egg on your face, just like me. Although I'm still riding high from Sonny Bean. Um, I'm... <laughs> it's Sonny. Sonny Bean, sorry. God's sake, we Sonny Bean. Hey, we Sonny Bean. Uh, <laughs> Sonny Bean, Sonny. I keep calling him Swanny. Swanny Bean. Are you calling the Wayne Bean? So it's wee Sonny Bean. Oh, wee Sonny Bean. Mon Sonny Bean. Let's go down, go, go down to the caves and that, eh? 
<laughs> right. Um, so 60 seconds coming your way. Are you ready? As I'll ever be. Then let's start that timer. 60 seconds. Let's see if you can guess what our done in 60 seconds is this week. Born in Paisley or Ayrshire? Ooh. Guardian of Scotland. Boy Wallace. You fucking kidding me? It's William Wallace and Dickways, and he's a boy or Wally. Seriously? Oh, what else did you have? I had so many things. I had like Battle of Stirling Bridge, Rebellion, um, London Bridge. Of course, his head was like mounted on there. We've got uh, executed in thirteen oh five. Do you want me to pretend and we can do it again? No, because that's faking. <laughs> I just am so. I take like three minutes to get mine and you get like, oh yeah, oh, 10 seconds. But the timer's, timer is still going. That's how quickly you got that. How was that? Was that faster than last time? Yes, you got it in 10 seconds. My God. So, folks, oh, there's is... your time up. <laughs> if you go to Ayrshire, apparently there is a place that's William Wallace's fountain and also there's apparently a place where you can see his footsteps. So there you go. I didn't know. I should never have picked something that was from your neck of the woods. I'm just a great historian, Scott. I can't help it. Just you wait until I do the episode on Maureen, who lives next door. You'll not <laughs> guess that one. It was Maureen. Oh, you've got it already. I really need to up my done in 60 second game. You're either too good at it or my clues are too easy. You're going to need to make it like international or something if it's scotland i'm gonna get it mrs scotland i forgot <laughs> so um once we're finished with our recording tonight what are you going to be reading next i am going to be continuing my brickwork but i'm going to be picking up mayflies by andrew o'hagan finally yes Finally picking up. It is a very, very popular one in our booky Scottish crowd. And I haven't read it yet. And it's starting to annoy me. And I'm sick waiting on everybody picking it. I'm not waiting anymore. So this month is my month. Um, it's about friendships. I like friends. Don't have any, but I like them. I like music. And I like going away on trips to Manchester. Of course. Who doesn't? And also... They're from my neck of the woods, they're fervent. So yeah. it's something I should be reading. So I'm not waiting anymore. I'm really sorry, guys. I'm not waiting anymore. Plus, I'm going to see Andrew Hagen on the 21st of November at the Glad Cafe, and he's going to be talking all about Mayflies. So I need to get on it. You've read it? I've read it. Um, and it is a book that was 50-50 for me because the first half I didn't enjoy. Mm -hmm. But the second half is absolutely belting. Is it um, kind of setting the scene in the first half? No, I, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil it for you. Um, but I'm really looking forward to see what you think. Because even this week, um, Carrie, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago, she's reading it just now. And she mm -hmm. messaged me this week to say, oh, Scott, you've read Mayflies. And I seem to recall you having the same problem I'm having. Oh, first half really? 
first half isn't going the way I thought it would. Um, should I persevere? And I was right in there with a yes. I mean, when I was reading that, the first 100, 150 pages of that book, I was going, why is everyone raving about this? What What is special here? Mm-hmm. But and then you found it. it clicks and it just all that that first half is so important if I was to read it again I Mm -hmm. bet I'd appreciate that first half so much more now that I know what happens in the second half but I'm so excited to see how how you feel how you react to the book because it's it initially it was going to be a I can't continue with this but in the end it's such a good book I'm excited um what about you I'm split. I don't know where to go next. Oh, give me choices. Well, I know what choice you're going to make for me. Um, so I'm between Edge of the Grave um, by Robbie Morrison, uh, which you've spoken about already. You've, you've gushed over yeah. already. I've, I've never heard of that book. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Glasgow, 1932. We Isa heads down to the shop to get ourselves some sandwiches. And she... <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm... I really want to read it, but at the same time, I can't help but Cardboard Cowboys, oh. one of the books that Bethany mentioned on um, last week's episode. I bought it, I flipped through the first few pages, and I'm torn. I don't know where to go next. Well, you could go, what I would do is I would start with Edge of the Grave, and it's quite dark, and then take a wee minute and go into Cardboard Cowboys. That's the way around it. We all know I probably will pick them both up and just read them at the same time because that's what I do. I can't focus. Um, So the fact that I'm only reading one book just now is actually rare. Um, (laughs) I've only got one book on the go just now, so I've got to change that. Um, So they will definitely both get read very, very soon. Um, But I'm I'm really excited for my reading this month. I've I've picked a big bundle of books and I'm just excited to get in and boot them, get them all up my nose and stuff. Can't wait. Me too. So that's all we have time for this week. Remember, vote Natalie and Scott for bookie time, libraries, and no talking on the phone on the bus. Important topics, guys, and ones we know that you're root for us for. Um, so all that's left to say is, Scott, if people are looking for you, where can they find you? Normally, dancing a book outside Holyrood to try and get some politicians um, interest but uh, so far my belly dancing classes haven't paid off <laughs> uh, you can see the photos of me dancing outside Holyrood on my Instagram which is at Scott you reading and for any emails that you would like to send in whether it's fan mail for our constituents if you've got any important topics you want to deal with <laughs> just email us at the wee Scottish Book Club at gmail.com. Now, if you want to hear my speeches and me just hanging about with Nicola in the pub, get me on Twitter at Scotties and Books. And if you want to see a picture of me and Nicola doing tequila slammers, go on to Instagram, Scotties and Books. So all that's left to say is, Scott, are you dancing? Are you asking? I am. Oscar!
that. How dare you go book shopping? So, oh my God, everybody's going to know him in the books of all. Oh, she's coming to get us. I, I sound a bit like Voldemort when I did it. Well, when you were doing it the first time, I thought you sounded like Greta Thunberg. <laughs> you can, you shove, can your shove your climate, climate crisis, crisis up, up your ass. You can shove, can shove your, your climate crisis, crisis up, up your, your ass. ass. You can shove your climate crisis. Shove your climate crisis up your ass. Yeah, that was good, eh? The timing was off, but we're fine. Got, yeah, that'll do. It's got a bird on it. <laughs> I, like I like birds. birds. <laughs> Going for the straw tonight. Fancy. Mm. Well done, the fries. Did I say that? Just doing McDonald's, like, mm, well done, the, fly, the fries. What? Hands for boobies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Fingery nipples. <laughs> so I want to round round this. I'm talking nonsense. Vote for me. Maggie Thatcher, throw her up and catch her. Squash her this way, squash her that way. Now look at Maggie Thatcher.